I want to talk about a topic called, we need a savior. We need a savior. This is something that I believe is important. It's been on my heart for quite a while now. This past summer, I was out for lunch or dinner with a, a big group of people and, <clears throat> and a family that are in our church. And they have a young couple that was there and they're kind of lay pastors in their church. And they decided to ask me a question probably because apparently I must be getting old and I've been in ministry for 30 years. And they asked me this question. They said, what is it that you have learned the most in ministry? What have you learned the most about ministry? Now, my answer should have been things like, oh my goodness, you should see the miracles that happen all the time. They're absolutely overwhelming. Or I should talk about the power of God to change a person's heart. Or maybe I should talk about how blessed we are. I once was lost, but now I'm found. But my answer was more maybe sobering than maybe you would expect me to say. It's a little bit sobering in such a way that maybe you might think that he did not want to go into ministry anymore. Because my answer was this. People don't change as much as you think they would or should. People don't change as much as you think they would or should. And there's a Merry Christmas message there for you this morning. Ho, 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 ho. Is this the Grinch that's turned up? No, it's just Peter with an accent, apparently. What a Debbie Downer comment to make, is that not Peter? But one of the things that I have learned is that I had to change my expectations of other people and even myself. Think about it. How many people around you do you think have actually become everything that Christ has called them to be? Everything that they're meant to be in Christ, have they become that? Maybe you can think of maybe five people, you've seen radical change in their life and they have gone full out for Jesus. Maybe you can think of that amount of people on one hand. Even turn it on yourself, you look in the mirror. Do you think that you're in the place where you have become everything that Jesus has called you to be? And maybe you could say, yeah, but I have problems. We all have problems. Maybe it's just the sin that's in our, in our hearts, but Jesus said he's come to give us life and life to the full. And yet maybe we're still struggling with things like, why do I drink so much? Why does it seem like once a month I always seem to go into a funk and depression? Why do I have doubt in my heart? What about this online history on my browser window? What about these cutting words that seem to come out of my mouth and I can't control the things that I say to my spouse? We don't seem to change as much as we probably should. Years ago, I remember about seven or eight years ago or so, there was like a, a, a thing that was going through the city uh, amongst the pastors and amongst churches where churches were really starting to struggle. And I saw pastors were falling to stuff. There was one pastor who literally killed himself. There was another pastor who died because he took a drug overdose, a heroin drug overdose. There was other pastors that did confess to having alcoholism in their life. And of course, the perennial sin of having an affair and running off with someone else. These things were starting to crop up in churches across the city. And I'm like, what is going on? Why are these guys doing this? And it, and, it, and it started to frustrate me because the way I looked at it was like, you guys are making it harder for me because now people are gonna doubt me. But then I look at myself and go, what makes me not fall to that stuff? What makes me more safe because I'm better, I'm a holy person? I haven't changed as much as I think I would or should. Then I started studying scripture and I started to find this, that nearly every man of God in the scriptures fell to something significant. 
even though that they were called by God, even though they did significant, amazing things, they fell to something. Let me show you the list. Noah, he became a drunk after the flood. Abraham, he lied about his wife, told, told other people, this is actually my sister. And then he had a child with a slave girl. What about Moses? He had a temper so much that he killed a man. Aaron had such jealousy that he decided to build a golden calf to worship that, even though he was meant to be a priest for God. Joshua had such impatience in his life that he lost the battle for the nation of Israel and many people died. David had such a deep lust in his life that he took someone else's wife, slept with her, had a child who died, and then killed the man himself. Jonah, disobedient. He was called to be an evangelist and yet he said, yes, but not those people, God. I won't go preach to the people over there. Elijah had depression. He called down literal fire from heaven and he had depression afterwards and ran to escape and went into a cave. Peter had such pride and anger that he ended up denying Christ even though he said he would follow him to the ends of the earth. John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, had such bitterness in his life because Jesus let him sit in prison. And he's like, well, why are you not including me? Why am I not a part of this? And he literally said, are you really the Messiah or should we expect someone else? What an insult. And then you've got Paul who had problems with arguing with his leaders. Look at all these people. They didn't become who they were meant to become. And so you can see when I was asking, when this pastor was asking me, what have you seen in life and in, in ministry? I've found this out, that people don't change as much as they would or should. Can anyone then call themselves a Christian? Certainly not with this party pooper right now. Peter, can't we just have a fun Christmas for once? Can't we just worry about the Christian stuff over here after the new year? We'll go on a diet. We'll go on, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start getting back into discipline and stuff. The problem is sometimes I think that Christmas can often become our escapism. Like we love the gifts, we love the lights, and we love all the music and the food and the Charlie Brown and, and the sweaters and stuff. It's all wonderful. And then we start subscribing to this guy called Santa Claus, right? Who's the all-seeing and the all-knowing. You've heard the song, you better not. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He knows when you are sleeping. Why is he watching me when I'm sleeping? <laughs> he knows when you're awake, what is going on? He knows if you've been good or bad, so be good for? You know the song, right? And we've got this all-knowing, all-seeing person who seems to eternally live, who's checking up on us, and he is rewarding us or not rewarding us based on what we have or have not done. Thanks be to God that God doesn't measure us on how well we have done this year. It doesn't work that way. The fact is, this is not good enough for a Christ follower. Christmas being a form of escapism and hoping that I've been good enough that I'll be rewarded at the end of the year isn't good enough for Christianity. When I first moved here to America, I found myself losing this Christmas feeling. Why? Because it didn't feel like Christmas to me. For a start, it's so freaking hot here. Why is it, where's the snow? Where's the misery of rain in Scotland? Where's the coldness? Where's the warming around the fire? We sometimes put a fire on and then realize, what are we doing? We're sweating. 
And we, we lose this feeling. And when I first came here, I'm like, it doesn't feel like Christmas anymore. Even the foods you eat, you literally take brown sugar and marshmallows and put it on top of a vegetable called sweet potatoes. You're applauding for diabetes. The word sweet is already in the name of the vegetable. Why are we putting more sugar and marshmallows on top? Oh, let's make this into dessert. I'm like, this doesn't feel like Christmas to me anymore. And for quite a while, it certainly did escape me, this feeling of, of Christmassy feelings for me. And, 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 and I'm telling you, if there's anywhere that is more Christmas than America, there isn't, there isn't. There's lights everywhere. You cover your houses in so much lights that you don't even know how you sleep at night. It's just like glowing in the, in, in, in the darkness. And you're looking at this stuff going, this is unbelievable what Americans do with Christmas. They take it to a whole nother level, as they say. But let me ask you this question. If we removed all of your traditions for Christmas, would you still feel like it was Christmas? Would you still celebrate it like it's Christmas? If I took away all your decorations and all your gifts and your sweet potato pies with brown sugar and delicious marshmallows on top, if I took away all that stuff, would you still feel like it's Christmas? It's amazing how much we depend on these traditions to make ourselves feel Christmas. I don't believe that's what Christmas is about. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying burn the house down. You'll do that by yourself with your own lights, right? I'm not saying burn the house down. Let's get rid of everything. I'm just saying, shouldn't we put the first things first in our faith? So what is Christmas all about? There's two things I want to remind you about, and this is my job to do this. The first one, and what Christmas is really about is, is really about the fact that we still have a problem in our lives. This is not something that Jesus became six pounds, seven ounce baby Jesus years ago, and then he died for us all, and everything's all sorted back then. No, it's still alive inside of us. The challenges of sin that's still alive inside of us. In 1 John 3, 5, it says this, but you know that he appeared. That means he became a human as one of us. He became a child through a virgin birth of Mary. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. That's why he came. He didn't come in order, in order that we might be able to feel good about ourselves. He didn't come just to be a baby. He came to take away our sins. If we're going to celebrate Christmas, it should be that sin has been conquered. Amen. It's been crushed through Jesus Christ. That's our number one thing of why we would ever celebrate Christmas. But maybe that doesn't fit what you want. I don't want to have to talk about sin as Ben, the worship leader this morning, just mentioned. Sometimes we don't talk about it. Listen, I get it. Even Jesus got it. Even his people didn't want him to come the way he did. And it says, as John, we go back to his gospel, it says, John 1.11, it says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They wanted a Christmas party. They wanted to feel good about themselves. They, in fact, wanted a revolutionary. They wanted someone that would restore the glory of the past nation that we had and get rid of the, of the Roman Empire. They wanted to fix the problems on the outside of themselves, not to be examined on the inside of themselves. 
And sometimes what we want is we want to feel good on the outside of ourselves, but we haven't allowed ourselves to be deeply examined on the inside. Are we not just the same? Do we want rid of sin or are we just trying to escape the effects that it makes us feel? Hello? Hallelujah. I actually want to get rid of this sin. Or am I just trying to get rid of the division that's in my family? Am I trying to get rid of, the, of the, the horrible depression that I feel within myself? I'm trying to get rid of this lostness that's within myself. And am I just trying to get rid of the feelings that come with it? Or am I trying to root it toot toot, get it out? As we say in Scotland, how would we change? I don't know where that came from. How do we change? How do we get past this sin stuff? How do we get this stuff just to stop having power in our lives? How do we finally receive him in the way that he should be received? I'll tell you what I've found usually makes it happen in our lives. It's usually a traumatic or a dramatic circumstance in our lives. That's how most people change. That's how most Christians change. I was just in a small group this week visiting one of our small groups and there's a young man there whose name's Phil is a part of our church and, and he was giving his testimony. He said, you know, I grew up in church. And he said, but I got into so many bad drugs that my life just went down and down and down and down and I, and I got into, I, you know, connected to too much crime and I've had guns pointed at my head. I've had people sh uh, threatening to shoot me and kill me because of what was happening with all this drug culture around me. And he said, I got beaten up so badly one time. He said, I've lost sight in one of my eyes and I had staples all over my head because I got beaten so badly with a bad drug deal that went wrong. And he said, and I still didn't change. Still, I still wasn't dramatic or traumatic enough for me to change. He said, and then one day I took a drug overdose and he said, and I literally died. And he said, and I was dead for a minute or two and they revived me back. And when I got revived back, I knew I heard the voice of God and said, are you now ready? Are you ready now? What about now? How close do you have to come before you decide to submit yourself to me? And at that point, he said, that moment, I said, yes, God. And he said, and for five years, I haven't touched one drug. I haven't had one drop of alcohol. I haven't smoked one piece of cigarette of, of, of tobacco. And he goes, because I decided to say yes to God. The problem that I see in our lives that so many of us are waiting for traumatic or dramatic effects, events to happen in our lives before we make significant changes. Why do we do this? The main reason we need a reality check at Christmas is because we don't change as much as we think we would or should. Here's the second thing of what Christmas is really about. It's about the fact that we've got to admit we have a sin problem in our lives. But the second one is this, that we have a savior. It's not all loss, it's not all depression, even though I know this might sound like a Grinch sermon this morning. But in 1 John 4, 14, it says this, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, not to come and be a little baby Jesus. He didn't come to stay as a baby. He didn't come to bring us gifts under the tree. He didn't come to be celebrated once a year, but he has come to be the everyday, life-changing, killing Peter Brunton, making sinners alive in Christ, bringing heaven to earth, making us holy, reconciling, evangelizing, spirit-empowering, permanent savior in our lives. 
in your life, in my life. That's what Christmas is about. We get to celebrate that we have a Savior that can change this world. And it starts with my heart first. Not with saying, God, that person over there, they had a pain in the rear. Could you go and fix them? Sure, you got a Christmas list full of them. But to change your heart, we need a savior. That's why he came. Here's the good news. We may not change as much as we should. Let me read it again. We may not change as much as we should, but thank God he never changes. And every year, he reaches out to us to be our savior once again. This Christmas, I, I, I do as many lights and send me gifts as much as you want. <laughs> or a baker rum cake. Thank you, Mrs. Chang. <clears throat> but let's put the first things first. Let's put the most important things of our faith first. Let's celebrate that we actually got saved 2,000 years ago that God became one of us, Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with us, to transform us from the inside to the outside in order that we might not just live life to the full, but that we could pass this good news on to other people. Let's do that this Christmas. Let's not forget that this is the whole point of us celebrating that time of year. Are you with me on this one? Excellent. Let's stand this morning. Father, we want to ask for your forgiveness once again. Forgive us, Father, for just trying to get away from the feelings of sin when the fact is we need the root of sin to be rooted out. And I pray, God, that you would help us once again to come to a place of repentance to say, we're ready to be filled up with you. We're ready to be filled up with the Spirit of God. Help us, Father, to not wait for traumatic and dramatic events to have to change us before we say, okay, all for you, Jesus, all for you. But that we choose to do it now. Have it all, oh God. Have our lives, have our Christmas, have our families, have our church, have our future. Whatever you want, it belongs to you. And I pray, Father, for every person that's in this room right now and every person who's online with us as well, that they would feel your presence and sense your calling to live the radical life of following Jesus Christ and be a Christian like we're meant to be. Being a real Christian, living up to the ways of Jesus Christ. We ask this in your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen. We love you and we bless you.